Well, we have reached the final week of the Advent journey. And this is our last Sunday before Christmas together, so it's kind of a big day. After working through the themes Awaken and Repent, and then last week Prepare, today we turn to the word Receive. So I know there is no way that I was the only kid uh, that on Christmas Eve couldn't go to sleep. There's no chance in this room that I am the only person with that experience. But it was hard. Um, you know, like, you're tired. You've done a lot of stuff. With me, we'd be with my grandparents. You'd been playing with all the cousins. But now you're, like, hours away from waking up. And whatever you believe, there were going to be Christmas presents the next day. There's electricity in the air. And you're supposed to just go to sleep. And for me as a kid, it tested every part of my character. I didn't have a lot of it, so it was a very quick test, but it was pretty, pretty tough. Um, when something great is coming that you desperately want, and you're just moments away from having it in your hands, how in the world do you forget about it and go to sleep? Um, how do you calm down enough to rest? Uh, and for me, it was the most pleasant kind of torture. Uh, it was the torture of waiting to receive something wonderful. And I loved it. I would do it again right now. I wish I could get that feeling all the time. Huh? And so, okay, there is a chance that none of you had that experience, that you're not like me. You, um, you're focused on higher and deeper things. And I, I'm looking at Curtis as I say that. But if you can't relate to my Christmas Eve expectation, uh, what about waiting on Amazon packages? All right? Okay, see, look at you guys. A little weird that you get more of a response about that, but I guess it's a sign of the time. So, so you know how it is. You finally find the thing on Amazon that is going to make your life infinitely better. Um, it's what you've been looking for, the coolest thing you could possibly imagine. And it's just sort of ridiculous that with just a few clicks, you know, and a little bit of money, uh, it's coming your way. And then, if you are like me and you go ahead and... Um, uh, what is it? You go ahead and set up the text updates that kind of come and tell you where your package is, you know. Uh, you start receiving uh, text messages with the most magical poetic words. Are you ready for this? It's a little bit like this. Your Amazon order, excuse me, your Amazon.com order number 114-694-5319-0148223 has shipped. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. I, I said I wasn't going to get emotional in this message, but it's just really hard to stand up here and do this. You, thank goodness for Chris. So from there, if you've turned on those updates, now all of a sudden you're playing the game of watching your package go across the country or across the world. Um, you start to learn the names of Chinese cities like you've never done before. Um, and then all of a sudden, ding, you get the best message, which is, out for delivery, which is pretty cool. And, um, and then the blessed moment comes, right? You ready for it? You know the sound. You ready? Pretty great. You go out, and there's an Amazon truck double parked in front of your house. Uh, they're very, not very careful about that, but who cares? Because they've got what you need. And here is some guy in front of you, and he is handing you something. And what do you do? You receive it, right? You receive it. And I know we're goofing around a little bit here, but thinking about expectation, thinking about waiting for something amazing, uh, helps us frame the world, the people, and the culture into which Jesus came 2,000 years ago. 
They didn't have Amazon. They didn't have Christmas. Uh, but they were waiting for him. They were waiting for him. And there was a tremendous amount of excitement. You have to remember, the Jews had made it back to their promised land only to fall under Greek rule and then Roman rule. And to be honest with you, things just had gotten worse for them because Roman rule didn't get rid of Greek culture flowing into their culture, pulling their hearts away from their God. It actually strengthened Greek culture. So now they're fighting their oppressors and they're, uh, they're fighting temptation all from within. The Jewish people felt that they had gotten back to their promised land, but they were losing their heart. They were losing their nation's heart. And the hope was very, very intense, more intense than my Christmas longing and more intense than your Amazon.com excitement. Their hope is very intense that God would someday send a deliverer and it would change everything. And just like our Amazon updates or my Amazon updates, if you don't, if you don't know how to do that, please see one of the guys in the booth. They'll help you get the text updates. They're wonderful. These guys kept getting little tidbits of information too. It'd be something like, ding, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. And then, ding, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So the Christmas story seems like it would be the happiest story in the world for the Jewish people. It seems like after waiting for so long with confident expectation, the birth of Jesus should have been a joyful story of receiving the very thing that they had been waiting for. Yet when the long-awaited Messiah finally came into Bethlehem that first Christmas, many people didn't notice or recognize Jesus. And many more didn't see him as worth receiving. This cannot be what we were waiting for, specifically a baby. There are even some who received him at one point, but then walked away disappointed, rejecting him later. It's, it's not as simple to receive as you might think. It seems hard to imagine refusing something you want so badly when it's right in front of you. But today we wrap up the Advent season with the admonition to receive him, because apparently we need the admonition. We need to hear those words receive. We need to awaken, to repent, to prepare him room, and we need to receive him. So here is the explosive truth at the center of my message today. I wrote that sentence, here's the explosive truth at the center of my message today, just in case it's not that explosive and you miss it. So I don't know if you're into, um, no, I won't talk about tattoos, but this is a good thing to write down. So even though Jesus came just the way people had been told he would come, the way he actually arrived required active, risky, deepening faith in order to receive him. All right? It was that way 2,000 years ago, and it's still that way today. To receive him requires faith. He continually arrives into our lives in ways that shock us, surprise us, and if our faith levels are a little low, it it can even be in ways that disappoint us. We have to believe to receive him. So let's turn to scripture. The Christmas story at the beginning of the Gospels show us how different individuals and groups either received Jesus or did not. And in this final week of Advent, our eyes are drawn to the amazing example of Mary and Joseph 
as far as their story of what it meant to receive Jesus and the amazing levels of faith that were required of them. So would you guys turn with me or, or look up on the screen to Matthew 1, and this is verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And these passages in Matthew, we kind of come up on this young couple, Joseph and Mary, probably in their teens. They've gone back and forth. Mary's almost certainly in her teens. Some people used to think that Joseph maybe was older, but currently biblical scholars say that they could both have been in their teens. And it's easy to read through the story really quickly in the light of our Christmas cards and in the light of all that we know about it. It's a beautiful story. It's a sweet story. Isn't that a great story? But I would imagine living that story was way different than what it is to gloss over it quickly. So think about it. Um, It was probably gut-wrenching. It's probably frightening, and it's probably overwhelming. Joseph learns that his fiancée, Mary, is pregnant, and he decides to divorce her. <laughs> that is at the centerpiece of all of our Christmas cards. Like, that's, that's what's happening. Can you imagine that? I can just a little bit, but some of you know my story. Um, and uh, he loves her enough that he decides he's going to not do any damage to the girl, and he's going to do it in a way that won't hurt her too much. Um, So this is certainly not the way Joseph grew up thinking this is what it's going to be like to be engaged one day. This is definitely not in his plans, you know. And then uh, God sends an angel and another shocking event, uh, which, you know, first of all, I imagine it was very shocking when he realizes she's pregnant and now he's he's face-to-face with an angel or or he's face-to-toes to to an angel. And um, the angel is working to help him understand what God's doing. And so here's the crazy part. Joseph believes in that moment, and he receives God's miracle and the direction God gives him, and, and he does what God commands him to do. But then as you read through the story, it's a big, big journey for Joseph, for sure. But then imagine Mary's side of the story. Like, this is a real doozy. And I, I know you guys have thought through this, but every time I think of it, it, it kind of messes with me. Imagine that you're Mary, and your dreams are coming true, You are inching closer and closer to your wedding. Uh, You have the stack of wedding magazines with all the parts cut off and cut out in your scrapbook with the Elmer's glue, or you could use the glue stick, or you could have used scotch tape. I don't know which she used. Uh, Everything's planned. You're counting the days till your perfect day, and then, ding, (laughs) you get a text update from Amazon saying that something very strange is happening with your package. And uh, here's, here's the verse in Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married 
to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's a good question. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Let me read that again. For no word from God will ever fail. And then Mary says one of the most beautiful lines in all of scripture. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Or be it unto me according to your will. And then the angel left her. Now while many of Mary's relatives and countrymen would reject Jesus. Refusing to receive him. Mary's faith and the love for God that came from it can teach us something today. She doesn't respond religiously. We're good at that. We, we think sometimes that's what he wants. It's not what he wants. She says, she admits she's greatly troubled. She has questions. But she does what any of us have to do who want to live by faith. She listens to what God is saying. She shares with him what is on her heart. And finally, she obeys. Be it unto me according to your will. Mary and Joseph both demonstrate to us how we're to receive Jesus into our lives today, both in this Christmas season and the rest of the year. So what do we do with all this? And you'll be excited to know this is the end of the message, all right? So this week, as we gather as families to celebrate the arrival of the gift of Jesus, our central question has to be, how can we today, each one of us, receive him so that the life of Jesus will transform our lives the way it did Mary and Joseph? It's a really good question. They were drawn right into the center of God's eternal purposes. They were drawn right into a story that glorified God in ways that are historic, epic. They were drawn right into lives of humility and faith and closeness to the heart of God. How do, how do we get that, right? Here's another question. How do we avoid growing dry, deceived, and dead-ended like the Jewish leaders and the people who rejected the very God they claimed to worship and fight for. They were going to church each week. They were participating in Bible studies, and yet they missed it. How do we not do that? How can we as a people not miss the gift of God and the invitation into what he's doing today? And the final question is just, how do you receive him? And I know it's kind of easy to think about that happening one time at an altar, but I think if you know him and, and if you've come to know him, you know it's a daily, daily decision. And so here we go. I'm going to leave you with three words that these might be good tattoos. Um, number one, we receive him by believing. Believe. Number two, we receive him by adoring. Adore. And number three, we receive him by obeying or responding. Obey. Okay. First, we receive Jesus by believing in him. 
Just as it was for Joseph and Mary, Jesus doesn't come the way we expect, with strength and attractiveness, with earthly power and politics. He took on him the form of a servant and made himself of no reputation. He had for people who looked on him with carnal eyes neither form nor comeliness, that he should be desired or be loved. If we are looking from a carnal perspective, according to the outward appearance and the ways of this world, we will miss or even reject this gift each day. However, if we will take even the smallest seed of faith, the slightest glimpse of Jesus, and respond with the love of the woman in the songs of Solomon, racing with abandonment to press in closer, if we will respond as Mary did, in the light of such a strange way, to simply accept him, to say, be it unto me according to your will, even as Jesus was wreaking havoc with her perfect plan for her life. If we'll respond with Joseph by taking action on such ridiculous impossibilities, if we will step out of our boats, if we will step out into the water, we receive him. We have to believe today to receive him. Second, we receive him by adoring him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Nate was just leading us in. Like the glimmer provided by a candle, faith gives us the supernatural glimpse of light we need to see him. We, cap- we capture him. Kind of like Aslan in the stories of Narnia. We see Jesus for even a second, and we can be captured by his zeal. We can be captured by his patience. We can be captured by his self-denial, his readiness for the cross his love unto his enemies, his intentional kindness toward mankind, his faith and his fervency in prayer, his love for and his dependence on Father, his Holy Spirit-led life and ministry, his compassion towards the souls of men, his unweariedness in doing good, his purity, his holiness. You know, in order to do this, this kind of adoration, In order to capture him, to catch him, to see him, we will have to turn off our televisions. It was a much bigger deal in the 80s. There used to be some guys that if they went to a hotel room, they'd have the television removed from their hotel room. Like, we were all very worried about television in the 80s. Somehow, screens, it's like we've given up the fight. And screens can do so many great things. But if they get in the way of you seeing him, you've just lost. You've just lost. We have to turn off our radios. You probably don't remember what it's like to drive in silence. I'm going to really go from preaching to meddling here. We might have to disconnect our podcasts. We might have to quiet our thought lives. We might have to shush our anxieties. We might have to quiet our shame and our guilt. We will have to remove distractions. The truth is there's, there's only so much airtime that you have. And if you're going to give it to adoring him fully, some things will have to be removed. It's the little foxes that spoil the grapes, right? We have to unfix our eyes on everything else that is not him. Yet if we do, when we believe and turn our eyes upon Jesus this way, uh, arriving on the front porches of our hearts, if we will receive him, we won't be able to help but open the package and adore him. So we believe and we adore And here we go, we're in the stretch run. Finally, we receive him by obeying him. Now this part's interesting. As we believe, and then as we adore Jesus, we become what we worship. Now that's true always. 
You become what you worship. If you watch things that are stressful, guess what you will experience? If you watch things that are acrimonious, guess who you will be, right? But if we will turn and adore him, we become like him, the one that we worship. We begin to change to become like that we fix our eyes on. And as we grow to know him, to trust him, to allow his Holy Spirit to move more and more deeply in our hearts and to step out to follow him, to stay close, we begin to see our lives transformed to be more like him. We become patient like he is. We find the grace to deny ourselves rather than, rather than clutching for our way and interests. We begin to lay down our pursuit of crowns and instead go for the way of the cross. We lay down our defenses to love our enemies and our antagonizers. We learn to show intentional kindness toward our neighbors. We become more and more faithful in prayer and fervent in prayer. Our own lives start to demonstrate the love for and the dependence on the Father that we see in Jesus. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say, you know. It was easy for Jesus to miss sleep for a date night with his Father. Our own lives demonstrate love for and dependence on the Father, and we yield our lives to the Holy Spirit's leadership into our lives and ministries. Our hearts fill with compassion for the souls of men. We do not grow weary in doing good, and his purity fills our hearts, as does his righteousness and holiness. Into the hearts of those who receive him, he comes. Jesus comes. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we, we are thrilled this morning. We're thrilled. Even when our hearts are convicted, even when we recognize we've been turning to other things, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of Christ in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. And we stand here today, Jesus, with an expectation for you and with an expectation for forgiveness. And because of that forgiveness, with an expectation for intimacy. And because of that intimacy, we come with an expectation for transformation in our lives. Lord, you know us. You know our families. Lord, you know our own hearts. You know our greatest moments, which probably don't impress you that much. You're already in love with us. But you also know our worst moments, which thank goodness that you're so aware of what you've done for us. But today, we stand before you. We kneel before you. And we receive you. Jesus, come. Jesus, come. In Jesus' name, amen.